God is always light and darkness. Humanity likes ambiguity and the gray middle ground. And one thing about COVID is pretty made it pretty clear it's light or darkness and the gray area is kind of gone now. And God's not about gray and middle ground. He's about either you're in the light or you're in the darkness. So tonight as we go forward in Leviticus, keep that in mind as you think about like what it means to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light and we're sons and daughters of the light all reaffirm the New Testament that we're his people. So the principles that they had are our principles for the church. And so we pick it up in chapter 19 with this idea that we walk in his statutes, not according to the world, but we're set apart. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and of course, this is the law. This is the handbook of the law, Leviticus, giving instruction for how, and particularly here, moral law and civil law, how a community functions and deals with sin and overcomes it and preserves the society. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols nor make yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it on the next day. If it remains till the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it's eaten at all on the third day, it's an abomination. It shall be not accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. These first eight verses take us back to like pretty much the first four commandments. You know, I'm the Lord your God. You have no other gods before me. You'll make no graven images. You'll keep the Sabbath holy. Uh, you should not profane his name. And number five is you'll honor your father and your mother. So we kind of get the, they talk about the first part of the Ten Commandments being vertical and the back part is more horizontal. So it's going to go horizontal in just a minute, but it starts out vertical here in that vertical relationship between God and his people in the covenant. That first verse, verse two, actually says, you should be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That verse, of course, is reaffirmed in the New Testament in First Peter, be holy for I am holy. Holy is God's character. God is light. In him is no darkness at all, morally. And though we're going to make mistakes and fall, like we sing in the song, though I stumble again, you know, I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. We're just singing that. But we seek after the light, and we want to walk in the light. We're children of the light, and we're set on a hill like a, a light on a hill, we're told. So the idea of God's character, God is holy. That's the whole idea behind the holy of holies where he couldn't even be approached because man is sinful outside the holy place in the tabernacle. And only once a year the high priest can go in there. God is holy. And as the Bible says, our God's a consuming fire. He's a holy fire. Like the burning bush with Moses where it's not consumed. God is a holy fire. And our works are tested by a holy fire on the day of Christ Jesus when we stand before the Lord. What passes the, the fire of tests? What were the intents, our motives, our actions, our words? All those things will all be revealed. So the idea of being holy and set apart is God saying, this is the way I am. And we talked about this Saturday night, but you're joined heirs in this state with me. And as you're adopted into my family, you take on my character. So put off the old man, put on the new man. That's consistent. So this idea of God being holy and his people being holy is crucial. God didn't make a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai and give them the Ten Commandments so they can live like animals in Egypt or beasts in Canaan, which is how the people lived, like brute beasts and animals. And Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave and see, ascend to the right hand of the Father to be our high priest so we can live in sin and darkness and lewdness and lust, as was our former manner of behavior, as it says in Second Peter. But he died to deliver us 
from the power of sin and and the power of these things over our life. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. This is important to establish this consistency with God's character for God's people. Because the worst thing you can do is create a God of our own image when we're in darkness. And that's what people living in sin do. To justify their sin and live with themselves, they create a God of their own mind where suddenly Jesus is as perverse as they are. Or Jesus lies and cheats and steals like they do. And somehow we sear our conscience to do this. We don't want to do that. Let God be true and every man a liar. So as we go through these two chapters, what is completely contrary to his character, and as we look at the consequences of that here in the next 30 minutes, keep that in mind. Because God's not messing around. We're in the time of free will and the dispensation of choice and self-determination. We get into eternity. Every knee's going to bow. Every knee should bow in time, space, and matter, but every knee's going to bow in eternity. So this is what his word says, that we need to honor our father and our mother. We need to revere our mother and our father. This stands out to me. We get this theme a little bit in these two chapters. And, of course, with my father-in-law just having had gallbladder surgery at the age of 90, very serious, the risk-reward, but to not get it, he's going to go septic and probably die, so he had to have it. And you just realize how the end of the journey is for our parents. Now, some of us, our parents might be in their 70s or 50s or whatever, depending on however old you are tonight here. Some of your parents may have already stepped into eternity, and there's nothing you can do about it except apply this principle to other elderly people, which we'll get to in a minute. But you shall revere your mother and your father. And I think it's so critical in a society, for a thriving, healthy society, that a people highly esteem the generation before them and value them with grace, whether what they did was great or evil. We, we still, God honors huma, hum, humanity. And it's very important that we have respect for those who came before us. And the measure by which we sow toward the elderly, particularly our parents, is by the measure we'll reap later on when we're elderly and our children are taking care of us or a stranger in assisted living, that type of a situation. So we really want to be reminded on this text, when God starts out really emphasizing critical things, he starts right away with revering and respecting your parents. We need to revere our parents and respect them. Also in these first few verses, we're reminded again of the peace offering, which is so unique, right? Like it's that one offering, remember, where you can eat it the second day? It's the only one you can eat the second day. It's, it's so random, like you can eat the second day, but it's an abomination to eat it on the third day, which just reminds us how personal God is and unique. The trespass offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, the the sin offering, they're all different. That's why we study them earlier in this book. But this one, we're reminded in how he's approached, this is a free will offering. He's like, you know what, I'm not making you do this, but just know if you're going to make this offering, do it the way I prescribed it. So I'm going to remind you a second time, this is how the peace offering works. And, you know, we need to be reminded more than Twice on a lot of things. Like Peter said, I'm writing you again to remind you of things you know, but we need to be reminded of things we need to know. Now, when I come to verse 9 through 18, I'm going to read these verses as a cluster, and you almost feel like you're reading a chapter of Proverbs because they're just changing themes and thoughts. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleaning of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. 
You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the, the person of might. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear his sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. Well, verse 18 is very famous because this is the verse that we get in the New Testament with Jesus. The first commandment is that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this verse that we just read, the last one, is the one re-emphasized by Jesus in the New Testament. Also, not just by Jesus, but also by the apostolic writings as well. It is interesting because it's summarized with the key thought is that if you just love others as much as you love yourself, that you can think of others and put others first and just consider how someone else is thinking or how they're affected by your actions, reactions, or inaction that you'll do really well in life. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. It already presumes our self-love of preservation. And even Satan said it best to God when he talked about Job, yea, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give to save his life. We are prone to be selfish much more often than selfless, even under the constructing work of the Holy Spirit. And all you have to do is ask someone that's been married for a long time to know that because it's just proven in the human behavior with the people you live with. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to make us less selfish and more aware of others, cognizant of others, sensitive of others to, you know, they said, when Jesus said, when someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two miles, because it's the second mile where you kind of get to hear their story and realize why they act the way they act at work, why they treat you the way they treat you as your neighbor or whatever, it's good. So the principle there is to just, If you just think of others as much as you think of yourself, you'll probably be okay. It is interesting, though, contextually, these things that are brought up before he even gets to that verse 18, though. I love verse 9 and verse 10, that we're thinking of others with our resources. That when you reap your harvest, you don't reap everything. You leave something for other people. So when you're working in the field and doing the things that you're doing, you have a, a conscious awareness that it's not all about you and everything you can get. But you should be thinking about others and how you can help other people. And God gives us one of the emphasis here. I am the Lord, your God. Think about others. And in all that I've blessed you with, leave something to bless others with. I've been thinking how during COVID, it's harder for people who get the, the money, you know, when they're outside CVS for the homeless shelters or veterans and stuff. Why? Because less people are carrying cash, obviously, and less stores are taking cash, as most of you are aware and I've been thinking, like, the other day I thought, gosh, these people, I'm sure the giving's way down for these people. And so unless you're deliberately planning to give money and, like, having cash in an envelope and you know you're going to see them in front of CBS on Beach Boulevard or at Target or something, you generally, we're all kind of using our cards. We're moving, obviously, toward a cashless society. But there are still great needs for people that are homeless, that are in recovery homes, that are veterans and stuff like that. And I've always tried to have cash to just be able to bless people in that situation just to sow. Because in the measure you sow, you'll reap. Yeah, so why not just sow and reap? You don't know this person's story. You don't know what, you know what I'm saying? Like we want to be, we just want to have that heart to leave grapes in the field and leave some wheat behind 
for others to benefit. We are so blessed, obviously, economically, in our culture and everything. We just, I just want to use this to remind us that keep being generous. We're a very generous church. Just keep being generous. COVID tempts us to be fearful and to retract. We just can't do that. We can't let 0.004% move us to fear and shift us from our character in Christ and sowing bountifully with people. Everything we have is the Lord's. And like Rob McCoy at Thousand Oaks said, now that they're being fined as a church, he said, they can't take what you've already given. If everything is the Lord's, no one's taking it, and you're not even giving away what's yours. You're giving away the Lord's. And that's a really good perspective to have when you're afraid people are going to take all that you got. Now, obviously, there's a lot of the Ten Commandments at the back end, so you're not going to lie. You're not going to use the Lord's name in vain. That's commandment number four. You're not going to cheat, so you're not going to steal. You're not going to rob. Uh, verse 13 gets my attention. The wages of him who is hired shall be not remain with you until the, the morning. Yeah, that's a good principle. If someone does the job, pay him for the job. Like, if someone does the job and you hired someone, pay them for the job. Like, we don't, if someone, if we're withholding the wages, and actually, doesn't the book of James talk about that? About withholding the wages? We just got to really keep our word, and I just think it's so important that if we say we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It's very interesting. For those that have employees or people that work underneath you, the wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. It's a good principle to pay people as quickly as possible for the services they provided for you. It's interesting because we pay someone to the piano every six months here at Shoreline. WG pays for it. And there's a new person doing it because the person that previously did it retired during COVID. And so the new person came out and they tuned it. And uh, I got the invoice on Monday here. And I thought, um, it was last Monday. And I thought, oh, it was late in the day. And I was, I was already leaving because I went to the office when I was leaving. I was like, you know what? Like... Who knows if he, you know, they might need that money right now. It's COVID. Go back in the office, write the check, and put it in the mailbox before 5 o'clock on, on Atlanta Avenue. Do for them what you'd want them to do for you. you and you can resist that from like, I'll just do it on Tuesday. Well, I teach on Tuesday, so it might not be done until Wednesday. And that means they might not get it Friday. But if I do it on Monday afternoon, they're probably going to get it Tuesday or Wednesday, right? Like, it's just thinking of others. Isn't the law good? Can't you agree with me? This is really good stuff, right? This is how you should run your businesses. This is how you should treat people in assisted living and memory care. This is the way life is meant to be in a civil society and how you treat one another. You don't cheat them. You don't burn their business down. You, you treat people with respect. You don't scream in their face. If you need to reprove them, you reprove them to their own benefit. That's, you catch that? If you love your neighbor, you'll say that they maybe don't want to hear. But you're not you're like yelling and shouting them down. You're not, it's not cancel culture. It's like, hey, can we talk for a minute? Hey, your dog, man. <laughs> the dog. Please. Please, the dog. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, or whatever it might be. The, 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 the music, whatever. Think of your neighbors. Man, we play loud music when Hannah's here till 9 o'clock on a weeknight. Maybe 10 on the weekend. But the neighbors know. At 9 o'clock, we got, we got four-year-olds that live next door. You know, people kind of have, like, how they do their parking, too. Like, we don't park in front of your house. You can park in front of ours now because we don't have the extra cars. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just thinking about others. And sometimes people don't think about others, so you need to think about them to help them think about you, maybe. For in the measure you sow, you will reap. Right. This is all good stuff. We read on verse 19. 
You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Again, all those distinctions, even in God's teaching them distinctions. Verse 20, whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine, in other words, she would have been a slave captured from maybe the Canaanites or whatever, um, and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this there shall be a scourging, but, there sh- but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin, which is committed, and the sin which is committed shall be forgiven him. Now, this is interesting here, and I'm just going to pull up this comment right here, because I really tried to understand this one. This is a tricky one. So let me just read to you, because I, I, I could just read over this, but I want to read this to you, because you kind of go like, what is that all about? Like, she's a slave, she's sexually intimate, but somebody gets scourged, but they don't get put to death. There's an offering. If a woman who's a bond slave or a servant to a recognized master, and the maid is engaged to another man who's intending to buy her and thus give her her freedom within his household as a second wife or a concubine, and she has unforced and conceptual sexual relationship with her master, then... This is how the situation should be handled. After there's an investigation, an inquiry which uncovers all the facts, both of them shall be punished. They shall be scourged and pay a fine to the prospective owner of the maid. And it's possible the owner could have, a future owner could have half paid the price for the slave woman. Since she has been an equal and willing partner in the sin, since he has defiled her and devalued her to be to her his betrothed, neither of them should be put to death, however, because there's a distinction between a master having sex with a betrothed slave girl and a master who seduces a married woman who's been married to someone else that, that never had that already had freedom. So this is the difference. The one is a punishable offense, the other is adultery and punishable by death. So basically it's a safety net to protect the woman. And it's saying that she didn't have her freedom in the first place, but it holds her accountable. And it holds the man accountable as well. It's a tricky law in God's law. We don't really live in a world like that. We just live in a world where evil people in our, in our government sneak away little children to faraway islands and do evil things. And then ship them abroad at the tune of 20000 a year out of this country. So don't think slavery doesn't exist in America and around this planet, right? You know what I'm talking about? Child sex trade. This is actually a protective measure for consensual adults, but really one is a slave and doesn't have her freedom. We don't live in a world where people conquered other people. If you study Russian history, which I have the last thousand years, they're conquering somebody or getting conquered by somebody. So the Tartars come up and conquer the southern Russian people, take them away as slaves. The Mongols come in and conquer the Tartars, who are kind of descendants of Mongols, take their people as slaves. Then the Poles come in, conquer the Russians, and take them away as slaves. Then the Russians conquer the Lithuanians and take their people away as slaves. This is kind of human history. And, of course, this went on in South America, Latin America, one people group over another. Even to this day, if you're in Costa Rica, they generally hate Nicaraguans. Okay? Like, it's just the way it is. So let's not pretend there's not racism and people usurping and ruling over other people on this planet. They have, they do, and they still do. I mean, for Pete's sakes, there's three million people in prison camps in China right now for being Muslims and Christians. And most of them are the Chinese people in the north that are looked down on by the more affluent Chinese people in the south. So when you read something like this, you go like, what in the world is this all about? It's, what it's about is mercy. It's about mercy is what it is. That's what it's about, WG. And I don't completely understand it, but I hope that helps you understand it. Because every verse by verse. Then it says in verse 23, 
when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised or unclean. Three years it will be uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. So as they came into the promised land, they are to leave the fruit trees alone for three years and just let them set. And then the fourth year was all the Lord's, and then the fifth year on it, it was all their groves. So that's just how God set it up. And we need to understand the Lord is first, and everything we get is from the Lord. Every inheritance, all that we receive is from the Lord. You shall not eat anything, verse 26, with blood, nor shall you practice divinitation or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Of course, we understand in these cultures, the tattoos were all marks of their idolatrous uh, practices and reflective of their belief system. And really, if you look at a lot, even to, to this day in the Polynesian cultures, the tattoos are usually... Not always, but in many cases associated with the worship of very various Polynesian beliefs of religion as well. So it's not that unusual when you see this in even some cultures with the tattoos. And you can even say, like, for example, in Russia, where you have people that are part of atheist gangs or whatever, and they take on the gang markings, they're identifying with that. So I've never related to the tattoo culture, but I hang out with Jeremy Camp, and honest to goodness, he must have got a new tattoo every three months when I was hanging out with him. And, he's all st- and Hector's the same way. They love their tattoos. And it's like, praise the Lord. I'm like, hey, you know, it's, it's your deal. <laughs> like, it's, it's not for me. I mean, it kind of hurts, I guess, anyways. And you want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. But I would prefer that if you do, it says something about Jesus. It'll look better on your deathbed, by the way. Or mom, love your mom, miss your mom, something like that. You know, just think of the last day, all right? But obviously, I say that facetiously because the context here is idol- part of the idolatrous practice of the Canaanites. And we need to understand that uh, concerning this. Now, It says, do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. You'd say, who would ever prostitute their daughter? But the way some families allow their daughters to go and not help them and guide them and lead them and direct them, in some ways, by default, they prostitute their daughters and set them up for failure with men in relationships. We don't ever want to be those kind of parents. Verse 31, give no regard to the mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the gray-headed in honor and presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. So here again, we get a verse about respecting the elderly. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Again, for me, particularly in the last four or five years in helping out my father, I just became so much more aware of elderly people, like when you're at Trader Joe's or Target and someone's moving really slow in the aisle or walking slowly up to the, you know, the automatic doors and stuff like that. And when you're younger, you just don't think about it. But when you're in your 50s or 60s, that's your parents. And you do need to think about it. And so it's just really important, again, you like to see elderly people that have made good decisions with their life, and some have not. But either way, we need to respect the generation before us, and we need to honor, honor them and This is what God says. God says you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man. Now, that's not reaffirmed in the New Testament, but all Scripture is profitable, and there's no reason why we wouldn't honor elderly people. It's just a shame what... I just have to say this. With with this current elderly generation, they're the greatest generation. They work so hard, and they've left so much money behind for their kids, many of which don't even appreciate it. And 
They've been the most ripped off generation and elderly abuse is so bad for, for elderly fraud against elders and all these scams and schemes that people come up with. And I just feel sorry in a way for the people who are going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account for ripping off elderly people who are vulnerable and will write a check by a social security scam or whatever. And it's so sad. So we can't offset evil people doing evil things against elderly people. But what we can do is honor elderly people and treat them with respect and dignity even if they know what year it is, they know who you are, even where they're at, but to treat them with respect and dignity. If you've ever been in a memory care ward where people just kind of wander around and, and they don't, you know, they might start yelling at you because they think you're the one that gave them a bad deal on the car or something, you still, you still want to treat them with respect and dignity. God's going to always honor that. This is his heart in civil society and how people with civility treat one another. You see some of these riots going on, the storing of these properties where they're beating elderly people trying to save their property, everything they work for. It is so evil. It is so barbaric, and it's so sinister and demonic. It makes me sick, and it should make you sick. Rise before the elderly. Respect and honor all people, but particularly the elderly, and it will be well with you. And if a stranger dwells among you, verse 33, with your... With you in their land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Obviously, we want to always have a heart for the strangers, the, the down, people that come from other countries just trying to get a better life. We, even if they don't value our country or understand our culture, they want to hold on to other cultures and don't even want to acclimate. You know what? We still need to have empathy upon them. I would not want to live in the Gaza Strip, would you? Would you want to live in Gaza City? Would you want to live in Rehad? Would you want to live in Pakistan? Or Afghanistan? Would you want to live in Bangladesh? We can never go wrong having empathy for people. And even as you travel the world, you, you begin to understand their culture. And some of you have traveled a lot and some of you have traveled little. And it's, it's awkward to be a foreigner in a foreign land. Like I said before, when you go in the bakery in Russia to buy bread and you don't speak any Russian at the time and it's rainy and cold and there's snow on the ground and everyone's a Russian in there, it is so intimidating. It's scary. Can you imagine how scary it is for some people to be grocery shopping in Orange County today who are strangers from another land? And they're just trying to get a better way of life. And aren't you glad they want to come to America for a better way of life? Isn't there a reason they come to America? There's a reason to come here and not other countries. They come here. We see time and time again that the Lord's heart for strangers in our land. And he says, don't ever forget that you're a stranger. Someone was a stranger. We're all strangers. And we're all, our life is but a vapor. So it's just a good reminder that whatever can frustrate us, and God's given different nations and different ethnicities and different cultures, and that's something to be valued and appreciated in the beauty of humanity for how God works in those things for people. And some cultures, like us, have exalted Christ and advanced Christ. Some cultures have suppressed Christ. But nonetheless, we still want to value the humanity of those cultures and realize people from those cultures are going to be in eternity in heaven praising Jesus with us. I'm quite certain in one language too, right? Because there's one language after the flood. And then God split the languages because it was evil. But when we're reunited, I would imagine it's one heavenly language. Or we all understand each other, which is pretty amazing. It would be awesome to be totally fluent in every language of the world. 
of every timeline. That'd be awesome. But we need to be empathetic and sensitive and not mistreat people. And some cultures are rude. And some people have come here and they, they badmouth our country and they're against our country and they're being educated in our universities. But we have to discipline ourselves to just try and have empathy first. Do you follow me? I'm not just speaking to me. I'm talking to all of us. Jesus meets people where they're at, and he definitely has a heart for the stranger in a strange land. You shall do no injustice, verse 35, in judgment, in measurements of length, weight, volume. Always deal justly with people. You don't ever want to rip people off. Under promise and over deliver is something that will always do well for the Lord. Verse 36, you shall have an honest scale, honest weights, an honest ephah, an honest hen. These are all weights for grains and stuff like that. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Now, if you notice with all these instructions that are civil and moral and personal, God says over and over, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Again, this was our topic on Saturday. I am the Lord. 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 He's reminding us of all these things. I am the Lord. This is my heart. This needs to be your heart if you're my people. That's what he's doing. Now, in chapter 20, we get the penalty for uh, civil sins that are moral sins as well, and they're gnarly. Now, remember, Israel's in a covenant. They're unlike any other nation, and they are set apart, and they'd be destroyed by what they don't destroy. And what they tolerate would destroy them as opposed to what they confront and deal with. Now, we pick it up in chapter 20, verse 1, and these are the penalties, and they speak for themselves. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwells in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people, because he's given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people, and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And this is heavy. I just saw that Charlie Kirk had a, an iPod post two days ago, podcast talking about right to life, the unborn, and his big number was 98.2%. That 98.2% of abortions are just a form of birth control. And yet people make big noise over the 2% as an excuse for the 98%. Now, this is not Joey Brand's opinion. This is God's word. And this is what he says. Now, Molech was a god of fire and death, worshipped by the Canaanites. And he had the outstretched arms, and they'd heat up the arms and sacrifice infants on Molech. It was emphasized. Make no mistake, Molech was all about killing infants. Unwanted infants. Old school emphasize. What's so, this is God's heart about emphasize. And newborns and unborns, the value of all life. Because you're just as human at the one cell as you are at your last breath. Because the one cell is everything you are. And your last breath is, is the end of everything you are when you t- return to the dust. But everything you are is there in the one cell. In your DNA, the code, everything. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. And I have to say, I've almost like lost heart with the, the, the whole cultural battle for the unborn because it just seems like it never goes forward. But I'm rather amazed like what a movement there is right now to yet again 
to try and restore order to preserve the defenseless of the unborn. Now we think like, okay, well, what about children are born in houses and families that no one wants the kids? That's not, that's, that's a straw man. That's not the point. The point is, as a human being, and think about this, how valuable your life is, all that you get to experience in life, love, hatred, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gather, a time to scatter, a time to plant, a time to uproot what's planted. All the human experience, a time to weep when your mom passes right before your eyes, a time to rejoice when your daughter's born right before your eyes. All this human experience God gives. And it's one thing if God takes that life, like Trinity Jameson at 10. So she never got to know love, but she never got to know heartbreak. That's what God had for Trinity Jameson. She was praising Jesus till her last day. But it's quite another if we determine that life doesn't get to exist. So when we step into eternity, all those lives never got to exist because someone took those lives. And whatever justification you want to make for them, of course, now they're taking their lives and using, you know, the stem cell research and all this stuff and all these other, like, science fiction demented things. It's insanity. It's insanity. And Billy Graham and many others said for over 50 years that since this was allowed in our country legally and protected, since Roe v. Wade, 73, including Miss Roe herself saying it was never her intent, that there's blood on this land, 70 million innocent lives, blood on this land. And that at some point, it's going to be held accountable for the people of this country. And I must be honest, as I've watched everything unravel in the last five months, I can't help but wonder if it's just not us imploding on the blood of our land, because we've killed off a whole future generation of workforce, people, lives to be lived. We've replaced them with many people who have no understanding of the history of our nation and the biblical values of our nation. And now they're destroying our nation. And the brutality and ruthlessness that we see in our society is almost incomprehensible. But as a man sows, so shall they reap. So it stands to reason, as a nation sows, so shall they reap. So we've got this blood on our hands as a nation. And I just rejoice right now that there's a lot of good people confronting evil people. And they're willing to march for life and take the abuse for it. They're willing to stand up and defend the defenseless and, and take the abuse for it. And I also want to let you know, in this ministry, for many years, we've invested plenty of resources to help people who are dealing with difficult pregnancies that choose to keep that pregnancy. We've supported Horizon Pregnancy Center. We've supported all other kinds of ministries for those. And we can't go back and undo mistakes maybe we've made with having abortions or paying for abortions. But we can go forward. It's kind of like when Gideon tore down his dad's idols in the middle of the night. He was scared, and God said, tear him down. He tore him down in the middle of the night. And then the next morning, all the people said, who did this? And they said, well, Gideon, the son of, you know, Barak or whatever. And they go to his dad's house, and they said, bring out your son. We're going to kill him because he tore down our idols of Baal. And you know what his dad said? Hey, if Baal's a god, let him defend himself. Like, Gideon's faith rescued the desensitized unbelief of his father. And so we can't undo the altar we had to Baal the day before other than just to do what's right the next day when it's gone. When Gideon tore down that idol, that altar, his dad was like, he broke out of his stupor, like a frog in boiling water. Like he woke up, he's like, hey, don't come here and threaten me and my kid. If Baal's a God, let him show up and do what he needs to do. You're going to defend Baal? 
So you see, it's always about going forward. We can't change anything in the past. We gotta go forward. And I absolutely believe that a better future for this country is gonna be much more restraints on abortions and not using abortions as birth control. And the other 2% of abortions, we can talk about that another time, but 98% of abortions are a form of birth control. And we need to quit making excuses and treating children, especially minority children, which are, of course, the vast majority of abortions are Latino and blacks. And, of course, that was designed by Margaret Sanger. She was the biggest racist ever, the founder of Planned Parenthood. They won't even talk about her anymore. They were so proud of her five years ago, they don't even talk about her because they all know, everyone knows Margaret Sanger was a huge racist against black people. We got to change these things. I'm just so thrilled that people like Candace Owens and people like this, women like this, people like Charlie Kirk, they're speaking up for the, the life of the unborn. They're godly people, Herschel Walker, and they're standing up and saying, we got to change how we think and how we live, and we got to quit doing this stuff. We can have a better future if we put Jesus first and we trust God and we respect all life. And we're waiting the balances right now, and I know all of you know that. You guys know that. Man, they're killing the next generation, and God says, you do that, it's on you, and you let it happen, it's on you. I'll cut you off. He held not just the people accountable who did the emphasize, but those who let it happen. They're so evil. You see these people that run these things and what they do, they're so filled with demonic rage and hate against God and humanity. They're so evil. We cannot be that evil, but we have to pray and keep praying for a better future and a brighter day. We have to believe the best because God has given us all of his promises. And he is the Lord your God. So the next time you feel like you need to speak up for the unborn and you're afraid what you're going to be attacked, everything they say against you. Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you for my name's sake and righteousness sake. And if you get, a, you get torn up for that or picked on that, you don't have to defend 2%. Stand on 98%. Hold the high ground. And just, you know what? This is what God says. And we're all going to stand before him. And we need to have his heart. That's why he gave us Leviticus. This is his heart for a society. I am the Lord, your God. Be holy, for I am holy. And the church is ultimately the final baptism of truth to be declared on this planet. When governments fail, when law enforcement fails, when the home family structure fails, when the individual conscience fails, we will be the last thing standing for truth and life because the Lord our God is holy and we serve a holy God and we proclaim his holiness in grace and truth, as it says, speaking the truth in love, but we must be built up in all things to him who's the head, Jesus Christ. Molech is an evil God and emphasize still is evil. And don't let these politicians talk about overpopulation, this, that, and everything else. We need to value all life at the highest level. We are not God. It's hard to watch, but I think, things, I think we might be on the cusp of something better. I'm feeling it. Verse 6, and the person who turns mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person. And cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. 
and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. See, that's the same verse, essentially what we taught Saturday night as a topical. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. There we go again. Respect for parents, authority. Again, God's given the conscience to govern us. He's given us the family unit to govern us. He's given civil government to govern us. And then he's given us his word to govern, govern us. It's all to be esteemed. Verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, an adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Thus the woman was brought to Jesus, caught in adultery, remember? And Jesus said, nor do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Verse 11, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them, this is evil, but it's the truth, man. People do stuff like this. Both of them shall be surely be put to death. They shall have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that they may be that there be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother, sister, or your father's sister, for they would cover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I'm bringing you dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nations which I'm casting out before you, for they commit all these things. Therefore, I abhor them. But I said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land formed with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the people. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean. And you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord and holy, and I have separated you from the people that you should be mine. A man or a woman who has a medium or who has a familiar spirit shall surely be put to death They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So mostly capital punishment or childless, uh, mostly capital punishment for all these sins, primarily sexual sins, but also sins of sorcery and occultism and whatnot. And in their case, we see that God says the people in the land did these things, and I'm vomiting them out of the land. As he said to Abraham, the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full, but 400 years later, their iniquity was full, and God judged them through the Jewish people and the Israelites coming into the land. You will notice, though, a couple phrases that we'll close with here that are repeated throughout the chapter. It says um, that, well, it says it'll be put to death a number of times, but it says, like, for example, here in verse 12, their blood shall be upon them for their perversion. In the case of the abomination, it says, 
in the next verse, well, it's still verse 13. Uh, verse, the other one was verse 12, verse 13. Their blood shall be upon them. It's wickedness. Then this other phrase comes in. Their blood shall be upon them, verse 16. And then down here it says in verse 17, he, he shall bear his guilt for a wicked thing. He shall be cut off from their people. Then in verse 19, they shall bear their guilt. Then again in verse 20, they shall bear their sin. And then God says, I abhor it all. And then finally, it says their blood will be upon them in the last verse for those that practice the occult. So their blood's upon them. They bear their sins and they bear their guilt. Their blood's upon them. They bear their sins and bear their guilt. And don't you know, if you've ever watched in the human experience, people who do things like this, they do bear their sins. Adultery, while it can be forgiven, it always has a heavy cost on everybody involved. Incest has a horrid cost on everybody involved. One can only imagine the toll that uh, the gay lifestyle has, or the statistics are so high. A suicide rates, average lifespan, 20 years less. They're all out there. Just the toll of living these type of lifestyles in rebellion to God, they take a toll. And in the end, God is not mocked. As a man or woman sows, so shall they reap. And so we will bear the guilt of our sin, and we will bear the guilt of our behaviors and our actions for wickedness. There's a consequence. And fortunately, in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and cleansed from those things, but so often there's still a price to be paid. Sometimes a crime, you still go to jail, even though Jesus has forgiven you and you're good for eternity. You're not good for time and you owe society a debt. Sometimes you just can't, that marriage can't be saved. Those relationships with children have just been forever severed in in a horrible way because of the actions. And the, the loss of innocence for children defiled by evil men and women is just horrid. And the guilt that they must bear and the guilt of their blood for their sin. The life is in the blood, and it's interesting that sin, in my mind, I connect the sin, the blood, and the guilt, because their blood is on them, and the life is in the blood, so your blood is bad. It's bad blood, and you bear the guilt of your sin and the sin itself. And again, of course, Christ can forgive us, but what's, what's left? Like, these types of sins are so abominable, so heinous, to a society and to a people and to an individual that they take just such a savage, far-reaching toll on everybody involved. And truly, we bear, they bear, humanity bears the consequence of this behavior. So let it just be, because God doesn't change. If he says this is wicked and he abhors it, do you think he'd ever sanction it? Like, if he says something's wicked and he abhors it, would he ever change in his character that somehow he would sanction it and and say, this is a good thing, we all need to be enlightened? Of course not. What he says is, you'll bear your blood, the blood, the guilt of blood's on you, you'll bear your sin, and you'll bear your guilt. And who knows what kind of mental illnesses people have down the stretch because of this type of behavior when they're older and they're just gone. We don't know who's gone, we don't know who's not gone, but they're gone. So we need to do everything we can to consecrate ourselves, to be set apart, and never forget that the Lord our God is holy. We're in a covenant with him. This is his character. 
we want to walk in this character not because it saves us, but because we are saved and reflects that change of nature. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, he's holy, and God is holy, and he produces holiness. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, spirit-filled life. So this is what we want. And I know these are difficult chapters, but I'm glad they're here. Because we're not left groping in the darkness. What does God think about these things? We know exactly what he thinks about these things. And let God be true and every man a liar.